Hey, I know you're probably driving or running or cleaning the house or doing something else when you're listening to this, but look, if you're a B2B marketer and you need to start generating revenue from your marketing, then you have to check out our 12-week program, the B2B Incubator. It's built for small, in-house B2B marketing teams with limited time and budget. We give you the strategy, the templates, and the tools to start driving revenue, not just leads. So if you're ready to act on all the advice Kevin and I give you, next time you take that first sip of coffee in the morning, make sure you head to the B2B Incubator and apply now. There's only 10 spots available per cohort with our next one launching at the end of May, 2024. Remember, the B2B Incubator, apply now so you don't miss out. We've had B2B marketing managers, CMOs, marketers in demand generals, content leads, and more all go through this program and they're currently executing the demand strategies that they've created. Some are now even contributing as much as 80% of the pipeline to their business after working through it. Make sure you check out the b2bincubator.com and apply now to start driving more demand and more revenue for your brand. Okay, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the B2B Playbook Podcast. Each week, we discuss strategies and tactics to help B2B businesses grow online. We're your hosts, Kevin and George, a couple of digital marketing professionals. We've waded through the noise and made the mistakes so you don't have to. The B2B world has changed and you need to put your customers at the heart of your marketing. We'll cover how you can use our framework, the five Bs, to create a brand that customers are ready to buy from, love and advocate for. We'll get insights from successful people in the industry and cover the latest trends to keep you on the cutting edge of the B2B world. If you're interested in B2B marketing strategies and tactics that work, then this podcast is for you. Subscribe to get the latest from the B2B playbook first. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer. Welcome back to the B2B Playbook. My God, Kevin, you look beautiful. You were so radiant. What have you done? Is it your hair? It is It is my hair. I'm surprised you noticed, George. Um, I did get a cut over the weekend as we head into the week of my wedding party. So got to look fresh for the big event. Very, very slick. Very slick. Very dark. You're the classic tall, dark, and handsome old Kev. No, no greys coming through there that I can see. Oh, too kind, George, too kind. Probably just the grainy camera quality again that <laughs> prevents you from seeing the greys, but uh, I'll take it, I'll take it. Yeah, I think I got my first couple of greys when I was working at the law firm and then things seem to have like plateaued a little bit for me since then. But I don't know. I- I'm kind of going to embrace the salt and pepper thing Kev I think maybe people will start paying us more <laughs> if you get a little bit of gray in your beard <laughs> maybe maybe we are we are superficial despite our best efforts as a race so that's exactly right I mean you just look wiser don't you you look wiser we do we do look wiser as a species I should say not a race yes 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 Kev, I feel like every week we discuss me getting onto TikTok, but the one thing that keeps getting away is time. So I feel like today's conversation around scaling content production is going to really help me in particular because I do have a new TikTok idea. Would you like to hear it? Yes, and I'm sure our listeners would too. 
All right. It's called, let me start with the name. The TikTok channel is called Bits and Bobs. Basically, I want it to be a repository for any half jokes that I have, ones that aren't quite there, but might be a little bit funny and they need maybe someone else to workshop an ending. So a bit would be the setup and a bob would be the punchline. I don't know if you've seen <laughs> like uh, people, a lot of people use TikTok, like musicians are on there and they'll write a verse and they'll do a verse and then they'll be like, okay, over to the audience now, like you guys do your best second verse or mm. play another instrument on top. Some of them have like got like 20, 30, 40 million views and they've released like huge Spotify launches. I don't know if Bits and Bobs <laughs> has the same that's, that's kind of good bridge. Idea, I think there could be something there though. You know, potentially maybe hold off on your career move into stand-up comedy just now and see how bits and bobs go and then <laughs> maybe revisit. Look, you got to do the work. So Jerry Seinfeld says, you just got to keep doing the work and then eventually maybe someday one person will laugh. That's it. That's it. <laughs> and until then, they can laugh at me and not with me. <laughs> well, Kev... Again, don't really have time to launch into that Bits and Bobs um, little TikTok channel because probably need a little bit of help now scaling content production if we're going to move into it. That's what we're discussing today. You know, this season we've been discussing how to be helpful at scale because marketing really is, this is my favorite quote about marketing, marketing is building relationships at scale and you build relationships by being helpful. So, so far this season, Kev, we've given our listeners everything that they need to be regularly creating content that really cuts through the noise. Last week, we discussed how our listeners can constantly improve their content with qualitative and quantitative data. I thought that was a great episode and I encourage people to go back and listen to it if they missed it. But today, we're going to talk to you about how to scale your content production as an in-house marketer so it doesn't become your full-time job. You and I are super aware that the people listening, they can't afford to spend all their time just creating content. You know, we know you have so many demands on you already. So today we're going beyond just content repurposing, which again was another topic that we discussed a few weeks ago. And we're talking about how to scale that content production. So Kevin, you and I love distilling things. We love frameworks. We like making things digestible. You and I have really nailed down three major components that our listeners need to scale their content. The first component is scaling internally, and that involves creating a process so that others can help you. And it also involves getting experts who work with you in-house involved in the content production themselves. The second component is scaling with external help. So that's when you turn to a freelancer or an agency to help you with some of that um, content production or potentially partnership collaborations. And the third component is really pulling it all together to keep track of who does what. So you can become the conductor of the orchestra and not be the guy or girl who's trying to play every instrument in the orchestra. Before we dig into that, I think you and I need to first cap off why people need help scaling their content production and why it's important. Yeah, this is one that we've spoken a little about when we started talking about content repurposing. Um, But just a reminder of some of those reasons, even if it is your full-time job to create content, 
As you add more channels and mediums, you can't be the only one creating and engaging in all these different channels and mediums. It's impossible to stay on top of, and you really do need some help at some point in time, even if it's just hiring and extending out your in-house team. You also probably need to free up some of your time to be able to work on that content distribution piece, as well as the engagement that comes off the back of all that content distribution. And then looking to scale all that, all of these things take time. So again, you can't spend all your time like you couldn't spend all your time on content creation. You can't spend all your time doing the engagement, the distribution, and even just running that process of scaling. Eventually, as George said, you want to be that conductor in the orchestra rather than being a violinist, a drummer, and a tuba player all at the same time. You do need to bring in different individuals and then you become that orchestra role. And that's why we say it's important to scale your content production um, process. And that's why we're talking about it today. Just side note, Kevin, I feel really sorry for people who were forced to play instruments at like a really high level and commit a lot of time to it in school, high school. But that instrument is like a tuba because... (laughs) Like (laughs) after school, what are you going to do unless you're taking your music career to the next level? You have all this knowledge, but you have a tuba. Who is playing the tuba at home by themselves? Like you can't, I can't have the TV on, you know, above a whisper in my place in Paddington or I get neighbors from both sides complaining. I can't imagine what it would be like sitting in there, winding down and playing some tuba. Like the neighbors would hate it. (laughs) <laughs> it's right up there with a the trumpet for sure. Oh, my cousin Melanie plays the trumpet too. Again, played to a very high level and like, that's it. That's, you know, after high school, the trumpet's done. It's gone. Okay, Kev, let's launch into the first of those three components for scaling your content production and that is scaling it internally. Now, the first one of those we said is creating a process so that, that others can help. Now, Again, Kevin, I would like to say this is something that you taught me very well, but also I probably picked up from my legal career. If you don't take the time to document as much as you can of that content creation or repurposing that you're doing, then it's impossible for anyone to jump in and help you and take it off your plate. So you will never get to be that conductor if you don't document things so people can help you. Yeah, that's right. And starting that process can be pretty simple. George and I, we document a lot of that in Google Sheets uh, because we are pretty comfortable with spreadsheets and we're kind of nerds on that front. So we actually put each step of our process into a content calendar, which is just a sheet. And if we do get to the point where we're outsourcing certain parts of that, anyone can sort of jump in and very quickly make sense of it and be able to start helping out. Maybe just to give an example, Kev, even with the B2B playbook and how we do our podcast, if you and I are having a guest on the podcast, then there's a set list of things that we do to prep. We do our research. We have a pre-interview chat for 10 minutes the week before. We let them know the process of recording, what they need to do at their end to prepare. We let them know important things like they'll have final edit of the podcast before it goes live. And all of those steps that whole process is documented. So eventually, if we want someone to help with this prep, we can very easily hand it off. That's right. And another example of that is our content repurposing process that we talked about a few weeks. We actually have documented all that as well. 
we document how we take our podcast recording and we turn it into videos for LinkedIn. There's a setup for Canva template to do that. We also use Loom to show how we select clips, export, drag, and drop into the templates that we have. So all this is documented again so that first it's easy if we have to do this process again, especially the first couple of times, we can remind ourselves it's like a how-to guide. But second, it also then naturally gives you that material to pass it on to somebody else if we do bring someone in to help with each of these steps. All right, folks, quick breather here. In my time in B2B marketing, generally I've come to realize that there are just certain tools that can be an absolute game changer. And that's why I'm really excited to talk about Leadfeeder. Uh, it's a tool that helps you cut through the data and turn those website visitors into solid leads and opportunities for your business. Leadfeeder shows you which companies are checking out your site, tracking their behavior, and it integrates all of this with your CRM. And the result is it's basically like a secret weapon for targeted lead engagement, and it really makes it easier for your team to convert website traffic into sales. Head to leadfeeder.com, give it a free demo, and you'll also get a free extended premium trial when you let the rep know that you found out about Leadfeeder through the B2B Playbook podcast. That's leadfeeder.com. Okay, check it out. Back to the show. Yeah, Kev, you're a total freak at this stuff. I mean, you've done this across our whole business from, you know, how to how to run payroll, um, how to use certain platforms. It, sometimes it amazes me the detail that you go to, but I get why you did it because for a long time, I just let you do it. And then I was like, come on, George, you've got to pick up some of the slack here. And rather having to get, rather than having to get you to explain to me step-by-step step how to do it, you already had that process documented, just link me to the sheet. And then I was able to do it without bothering you. I think that same problem also occurred to me when I was doing these things, especially for that second or third time um, for some of the processes. It, it's easy to forget, especially when you're doing things like payroll or a piece of content that, for example, you haven't done for a while. Um, maybe it's a month, maybe it's a quarter. Coming back to it, you almost have to research the whole process again, unless you have that process documented, unless you have some recording or some notes even of the steps taken to do that um, and the same thing applies it is really it's really a compounding time saver that builds up over time killer i knew that one would be a favorite of yours kevin now the second way that you can scale content production in-house is by leaning on other experts within the business the trick here kevin is those experts probably aren't in your marketing department let me jump into an example if you're a data consultancy you might have a whole heap of data analysts and you can choose one or two of them and see if they're going to help you run a webinar or maybe put together some tips on how the clients can get the most out of their data. Leveraging your internal experts is going to help you with that content production and it's going to help you create content that your dream customers actually really want to consume as well because they're the experts. The key is you have to get buy-in from them. We know that no one wants to add more to their already very full plate. So for you to get buy-in from them, you need to show them the personal and career benefits of getting involved in the content creation process. A couple of tips on how to do that, Kev, is our listeners can start by showing them an example of people who are already doing it well and how it builds their own personal brand. If you can't find an example within your own industry, 
Check out any of the gang at Chili Piper or Refine Labs or Gong on LinkedIn. Check out any of their employees and look at how they're doing it to really drive awareness, bottom line revenue for their brand, but also bring a really strong personal brand for themselves, which uh, really gives you a bit of a security blanket too in terms of showing the value that you bring to your own role, but also gives you leverage and an audience if you want to move to another role elsewhere. The second tip would probably give you is to make sure that you're giving your experts in-house feedback about their own metrics and how they're growing and how what they're doing, whether it's helping with the webinar, being very vocal on LinkedIn, how that's helping their own personal brand and the business. Now, next week, we're going to talk about what those uh, key metrics are. But for now, we're just going to say that we want to look at those metrics and give those as feedback to the experts to encourage them. Finally, Kev, a really simple one is uh, in our chats with a lot of marketing managers, we know that often their reporting involves emailing the whole business or senior people in the business, uh, normally once a month, some even as often as once a week, sending a company-wide email about all their marketing activities. In those marketing activities, in that email, call out the in-house experts that you're helping and give them some recognition. Pump up their tires. They'll be stoked about that. We guarantee that if you do that, more and more are going to want to join. So Kev, they're probably the two main ways that people can leverage things internally uh, to help scale their content production. Now, let's look at what our listeners can do externally to help scale that content production. Now, you and I have identified really three main ways externally that people can do this. And that's either getting the help of a freelancer from somewhere like Upwork uh, partnering with an agency to help you with that content production or a collaboration with another business. So another partner that you use to create content with. Now, Kev, on the freelancer side, so if you're going to a site like Upwork, it's a little bit more difficult to scale the production side of content here because it can be hard to find true experts on Upwork but they can help you with the repurposing a lot of the time, particularly if you've documented those processes earlier like we've spoken about. As we said, the key is to make sure that those processes are documented so it's easy to get someone in, follow a list of instructions, and then there's no nasty surprises when they send you the bill at the end of the week, end of the month, and they've done something completely different to what you'd hoped. And probably the other tip there is if you expand to a new channel, either try and get a channel expert a freelancer who is a channel expert or do the process yourself first so it can be documented. Then it can be normally easier and cheaper to hire a generalist to help you with that content repurposing. So Kev, as soon as we expand into TikTok, that's something that I'm absolutely going to go and explore myself first and really try and nail that process down before we get any kind of external help in repurposing our podcast content into TikTok content. So Kev, that's freelancers. Um, what about agencies? What about if you're going to try and scale things externally using an agency? Have you got any advice there? I think with the agencies, there was an episode where we talked about getting ready um, and figuring out whether you're ready for an agency or not. And I guess this adds a little bit onto that process of how you find an agency once you have to determine that you're ready. With agencies, it's kind of similar to freelancers where they're probably not going to be subject experts and there probably is no guaranteed way of finding a best fit with particular agencies. 
but we'll just run through a couple of tips that we have for selecting agencies, having had that experience working within and with agencies. We do encourage you to go back to episode 17 of last season and check out if you're ready for an agency first. You'll need to do a lot of the groundwork we talk about and be ready and be helpful so far to make sure that you're actually in a position where you should be considering agencies because there is a bit to get done before you think about engaging an agency to get the best results out of hiring someone like that to help your business. That aside, the first tip that we have for selecting an agency is don't get too distracted by the awards or industry-specific experience they like to communicate. These can be factors to infer expertise of an agency, but they're not really reliable factors to infer success for you or your particular business that you're trying to promote. If you can get a referral from someone whose judgment you trust, that's obviously worth exploring. But generally, uh, be, keep in mind that a lot of these awards and industry-specific experience, they're marketing tools. People, uh, agencies are clever. They are marketers. So they actively work to get these things on their brand to, to convince their potential customers. So it's important to take them with a grain of salt. It's hilarious, Kev. You can almost buy these things, right? Whether it's bam, buying a table to an awards night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the more you do that, the more chance you have at winning a certain award. You know, if you want awards from Google, we know what it's like. You and I being the agency side, I know we're talking more about the creative agencies and we weren't as involved in that as much, but Google largely sent out their awards to people who spend the most money with them which is crazy. It's like, hey, you spent the most amount of money with us, but perhaps one of the best agencies should have been the one who that year maybe advised their client that throwing all their money into Google wasn't the best idea and maybe they should invest in their branding or speaking to their customers. So it's kind of funny how, as you said, those awards aren't necessarily the thing to look for and referrals are a much better idea. We're not saying, you know, we're not here to rag on agencies and all these award providers and Google even. We're just saying take it with a grain of salt and consider it in the wider context. You know, these are businesses, they have relationships with each other. So a lot of that is through relationship building. Uh, A lot of it is through spend is obviously a factor because Google and these businesses and agencies want to grow. So naturally, the amount of spend and the rate of growth of that spend um, that the agencies put through these platforms is a necessary factor and expertise in adapting the platforms to particular to particular businesses is only one of those factors so obviously looking at awards and the communications from the agencies you do need to take in with a grain of salt i think the key thing that we advise people to look for here is when you're looking at agencies try and find someone that takes the time to really understand what your brand's about what's your brand's why that we that we talked about in the be ready stage? What's your target audience? Did they take the time to understand those points before they start recommending ideas, strategies, tactics? Are they taking into consideration what you're really about before they start putting you into a cookie cutter approach to how they do digital marketing and the the strategies that they like to put in place each time? Do they do that hard work and understanding your customers as well as they can almost as as well as you do in order to have the right impact with their work and to actually support and amplify the impact of your brand rather than take away from your brand with messaging that's not quite on point with your dream customers. That's the key to look for. Do they actually take that time to understand 
you, your brand, and the dream and your dream customers before they launch into the work. I actually completely agree with you, Kevin. To me, that is one of the most important signifiers of a good agency. I feel like if they really get that stuff down, all the technical stuff, like even if they're not the absolute best technically, if they have that understanding, I would say that that puts them in that top echelon of agencies because so few take the time to properly understand it. Definitely. If they do understand, they'll naturally recommend and focus on things that will benefit your business and they'll have a higher chance of success, which I think brings us on to the next point. As much as you can do in that initial stage of vetting them, you will still have to do some work as they start work to make sure they're aligned with your business on an ongoing basis. And that involves making sure that things they propose do fit into the framework of being ready and being helpful as you understand it for your business, making sure that what they recommend aligns with an understanding of your brand and your customers, aligns with what actually provides genuine value in terms of the content they wanna produce for your customers, and generally making sure that they're completely aligned in their ongoing work and recommendations as well. And finally, I think it's important to keep in mind that generally agencies are built in a model in our experience at least, to be as efficient as possible as a business. But that means it will not always give you the best long-term bang for buck in terms of how much time is invested into your business because they're still someone who's external who have other business considerations over someone who potentially you hire internally to do some of this work. So again, think of agencies as a scaling tool only. It's not a long-term solution in most cases. It is something that you use for a certain period of your business growth as a scaling tool. And you have to closely evaluate that on an ongoing basis to see if they're still worth it this year, if they're still worth it next year. At the end of the day, it's up to you to manage them like an internal team or freelancers to produce the work and content that's in keeping with your strategy. And if they're not in keeping with your strategy, then it's time to rethink that relationship. I think that's a really healthy way to look at agencies, Kev. Now, the third way that you can get external help for creating uh, more content is partnership collaborations. Now, that really takes the burden off you to do a lot of the creation because you can find partners that are really good at that content creation process where you have a shared audience. Kev, you had a couple of cool examples from Medigy. Um, that I would love for you to share with the audience. Yeah, so last year, Manager, we did a collaboration with Social Status, who have a lot of data around the social media trend space. So we collaborated, they gave us some really interesting stats and figures uh, that we then packaged together into a report as a partnership piece of content that we produced between us. And it's really a social media trends report for SMEs. And we were able to distribute that helpful content to both our audiences and I'm sure a lot of that audience found that very helpful. But if you look at it in context, we as Metagy didn't do a huge amount of work in in terms of pulling together the the base of that content. What we did was we we helped package that and we helped distribute that content. Social Status did most of the content production or creation process. So that's probably a really good example of how we effectively as Menergy were able to partner with someone who has content or has expertise in content that we currently may not have or have as readily and we get them to help us as subject experts in that area. Another example 
is really having any guests on podcasts or webinars run by a business. So when we have, for example, uh, guests on the podcast, a lot of the times that takes away the pressure of doing the content production from us because a lot of the insights and, and the stories and the experiences come from our guests. And that works as well for any business that hosts their own podcast. They're doing the same exact thing. Again, it's about taking that burden of content production off you for the most part. A really great example here is a conference or virtual conference called SMX Next. Basically, it's a SME and SEO conference, which is held yearly. And it's based completely on having guest speakers who are subject experts from agencies, from consulting space. They come in, they do webinars, they run workshops um, as part of this conference, which which is run by Search Engine Land. Search Engine Land is not involved really in any of the content production. They just help put this event together. And all the content production is done by subject experts. So they're able to then leverage this program, all these experts uh, to produce this conference, which I mean, they charge money for, but it is still very helpful content at the end of the day for a lot of great insights for a very wide user base. And all that content is produced by the guest speakers, by experts in this space who aren't normally associated with search engine land. Recording physical conferences or you know virtual conferences seems like the ultimate cheat code when it comes to content creation and getting someone to help you with that. Because as you said, you're getting 10, 15 like ultimate experts to come in, just bring their audiences with them, create a whole ton of content that you just get to chop up and repurpose again and again and again. And it just gives you so much to work with. Yeah, and it's just such a great way to get partnership collaborations going and to start building your network of partnerships and ultimately, um, in a sense, some of them become part of your Dream 100, right? Or they already are part of your Dream 100 and this was an avenue um, as well, it doubles for that purpose of getting in touch with your Dream 100. Sometimes it goes even beyond your Dream 100 and and some of those guest speakers are literally your dream clients. So not the Dream 100, your dream clients. And some people use that as an ABM approach. So you're getting that relationship even closer by bringing them in as a guest speaker. Yes, definitely, definitely. I think to take a more maybe abstract uh, example of this, let's say you're selling a SaaS product for managing HR processes in businesses. Your dream customers are likely also concerned about data security, for example. Uh, if they're looking at software products, if they're looking at managing sensitive information with those software projects, they're probably going to be worried about data security. So you could actually partner with, say, in this case, a cybersecurity consultancy. They could produce a webinar series for your dream customers and you can use this opportunity to produce some helpful content for your dream customers without actually having to do the content yourself you're just helping distribute that content helping put it together and again that's just another great example of partnership collaborations and you should be looking for opportunities to do this as you start to grow and scale your content production that's it kev it's all about leaning on your partners around you uh, to help relieve some of your own burden internally. And it makes you look great and you're connecting with potential Dream 100 people, you're connecting with potential Dream customers as well. So Kev, that is really internally and externally how people can scale their content production. Of course, we want to discuss how 
our listeners, how our marketing managers, how whoever it is that's in charge of this content production can pull it all together and make sure they keep track of who does what. Now, you and I have built our own content scheduler. We built it in Google Sheets. Again, we are spreadsheet nerds. Um, There's other workflow management platforms out there, but we've purpose-built this so everyone can be in one sheet. You know who is responsible for what and when. If you needed to link out to um, particular resources where you've documented processes, you can do that. It's fully customizable. We'll link that in the show notes for our listeners. And finally, Kev, I don't even know if this is a good analogy. I think it is. I think it's all right. But the content scheduler makes you the conductor of your orchestra. So your job is then to see where instruments are out of sync, what needs improving, what song your audience would love you to play next. That's what it's all about. That's the position you ultimately want to be in. Yeah, I think that's a great analogy, George. Leading nicely onto our key takeaways for today's episode. Listeners, you can scale your content internally and that involves creating process and leveraging other experts in your business. You can also scale externally, whether that's through freelancers, agencies, or partnership collaborations. And ultimately, your goal is to be the conductor of the orchestra and not to play every instrument. As per usual, listeners, you can find links to everything that Kev and I discussed in the show notes. Now, next week, we're going to discuss how to measure whether or not your content strategy is working and the key metrics that you should be sharing with the wider business to show them that what is going on is moving things in the right direction. We're very grateful that every week, more and more marketers are tuning in each Monday to listen to the podcast. If we can ask one thing, it would be to please leave us a short review on whatever platform you listen on. It's amazing help to us and we'd really, really appreciate it. I'll add to that, Kev. Uh, Beyond that, if you just want to slide into my DMs on LinkedIn, tell me if you have any thoughts about the podcast, the show, the playbook. I'd absolutely love to hear it. So hit me up. George Kutanaris, the spelling will be in the show notes, (laughs) as always. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, Kev. Take care and see you next week. Take care, listeners. See you next week. A quick note before you go, listeners, you can find more great content and get in touch with us Be at sure to b2bplaybook.com and our newsletter while you're there to get the latest news, tips, and resources from our playbook. We'll be back the same day and same time with another episode playbook. next week. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with a buyer.